Amen. What a stirring narrative to read. The crucifixion of Christ, the, those evil men, those sinners who were hung on either side of him, bearing their just punishment, but Christ innocent. Christ, the sinless Son of God who went to the cross to bear the shame of the people that he would call to himself. What a Savior. What a Savior. It's a joy and a great privilege to be able to open the Scriptures with you all on this special Lord's Day, this Resurrection Day. It, it is, in a sense, weighty because we have hopefully come with, with extra expectation. We've come with our hearts extra ready to hear of and to see Christ. So there's a weightiness to that, but there's also great joy to that because we have come prepared to see and to hear of Christ. So with that, if you'll open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 4, and the title of the sermon today is Christ, Our Life. Christ, Our Life. For, for some time, I had intended to preach a different text, a different sermon this morning, but over the last couple of weeks, um, kind of began having some some other thoughts, and after prayerful consideration, I landed here in Colossians 3, a, a look at the resurrection of Christ and the implications of that resurrection. The fact that because Christ is raised, there are specific things, specific ways that we must live, specific things that we must do because we are alive in the risen Christ. We're to direct our minds to Christ. We are to set our minds upon Christ in heavenly things. We're to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And all of this is because Christ is raised. So this text is fitting for this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday. So let's read our text and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together. If you will and if you're able, please stand with me as we give attention to the reading of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is Holy Scripture, the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For if you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of God. May he write it upon our hearts for the glory of his name. You may be seated. Join me, if you will, let's bow before the Lord and go to his throne of grace. Father, we come on this Lord's Day with a special focus and a special attention on the resurrection of Christ. Lord, we ought to acknowledge that each Lord's Day is a is a recognition of the resurrection. But this is a day specially set aside to celebrate the risen Savior. 
Lord, to celebrate the Savior, what better could we do than to direct our minds to your word? To direct our minds to the fact that Christ was raised and we raised with him. Lord, what a kind and gracious reminder from your word that our lives are hidden with Christ. A glorious truth that one day we will be revealed with our Savior in glory. I pray, God, that you would write these truths upon our hearts. I pray that we would look to this glorious Christ, the one who bore our sin in his body, and that we would submit our lives to him. Pray, Lord, that you would show us Christ through the preaching and teaching of your word. We ask, great God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to empower our hearts and our minds to hear and receive and apply the truth. Lord, for if it's not for the working of your Holy Spirit, we gather in vain. We might read of Christ, we might talk about Christ, but if your Spirit doesn't work, we will not be sanctified. We will not behold his glory. We will not see that he is full of grace and truth. So, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come and put strength within us. We ask that you would open and illuminate our minds. Ask that you would reveal sin to us. Lord, help us to understand that it was our very sin that nailed Christ to the cross. It was our very sin that held him there until the perfect and whole wrath of the Father was completely poured out. Lord, help us to understand the greatness of our sin. But so high and so far above and beyond that. Help us understand the greatness of our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would direct our hearts and our minds. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are humbled. Hearts that are eager and ready to receive and apply the truth. Would you sanctify us by your word, O God? Would you receive all praise and honor and glory through our time today? Pray that the Savior would be lifted up and magnified. We ask all this, Lord, because we come to you washed in the blood of Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Between creation, the creation of the universe, and between that and the time of Christ's return, in the Christian's view, there is no higher day than this day that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Christ. There is no more important work than the resurrection of Christ. Clark read it earlier, 1 Corinthians 15. That's why we can make such a broad statement. Paul said, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. If we don't serve a resurrected Savior, then we are, as Paul wrote, of all men the most to be pitied. Simply, it's impossible 
to overstate or to overemphasize the importance of the resurrection. It's impossible to hold the resurrection in too high a position because if Christ is still in the tomb, we are still dead in our sins. But Christ has been raised. He has ascended to glory. He sits at the right hand of the Most High. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul went on to say that as, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All who come to Christ in faith and repentance will be made alive because Christ is risen. This resurrection is the topic of Paul, the beloved apostle in Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, the focus of the letter of Colossians, this letter to this one local church, the focus was the understanding of the deity and the authority of Christ. Paul wrote Colossians to shore up these people's faith and their understanding that Christ was indeed the Son of God, that He went to the cross, that He was raised, that He ascended to the right hand, and now He reigns forevermore. And he wrote to instruct the church how the church should live in light of this work and authority of Christ. To understand the work of Christ, the text will show us we must understand our security in Christ. We must understand that we have a future state of glorification awaiting because we will be with Christ when He is revealed in glory. So through all the struggle, through all the trial and tribulation and difficulties of life, we press on because we will be revealed with Christ in glory because He was raised and because He ascended to the right hand of the Most High. So to the Colossians, Paul says, since you are alive in Christ, you must set your mind upon Christ. You must seek Him. You must follow after Him. You must set your mind on things above where Christ is because this will one day be your eternal home. And Paul's instruction to us is really the exact same. In Christ, the believer is made alive. In Christ, the believer is secure, and in Christ, the believer will be glorified. And as a result of that hope, as we await our glorification, we must set our minds and our lives on heavenly things. So the result of all this thinking of Christ and His resurrection is that we set our minds on things above, where Christ is. We do not look to the things of the world, but we look to the glory that comes in eternity. In this text, we see instruction regarding our life in Christ. We see the cause, the command, the commitment, and the consummation, the, the completion, the culmination of our eternity in Christ. So let's begin at verse 1 and consider the cause of our life in Christ. Paul writes there, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we kind of focus on the bookends of that verse. If you have been raised up with Christ, 
keep seeking the things above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. The cause of our life in Christ is that he's raised and that he's ascended to glory and is seated at the right hand of the Most High. Why was Christ raised? That's what we, where we must begin asking the question, why was Christ raised? If we're raised with him, why was Christ raised? It's because, as we have already stated and read, it's because he went to the cross. It's because he bore our sins. He went as a substitutionary sacrifice. He died to bear the curse of our sins so that we could be forgiven. He died because you could never earn salvation. You could never put away enough sin to be counted righteous by the Most High. So Christ went to the cross. Christ was the one in whom there was no sin. Perfectly righteous. Absolutely perfect in every respect, in thought, in word, in deed. And yet he was nailed to a cross to die. He was put to death as a criminal. He died for your sake and for mine. The holy wrath of God is just there waiting to be poured out. Either the sinner will die condemned in his sin, and the wrath of God will be poured out for all eternity, or you are alive in Christ and he has borne your curse at the cross. See, yes, God is loving and gracious, but he's also holy and just, and his justice must be served. Christ was the substitute. He bore the wrath for all who will come to him in faith and repentance. That's why Christ died, but let's linger on this thought for a moment. Let's consider the agony of the Savior. Christ died being hung on a cross, arms stretched out, nails piercing his hands and his feet, and he hung by those nails. He was lifted up in the air and hung by the nails piercing his body. You understand the physical pain that the Savior experienced. But do you also understand that he had spent some three hours at least hanging on that cross before he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it wasn't the physical pain that caused the cry. It was those hours under the wrath of the Father. It was the hours that the Father spent punishing him for the sin of his people. It's not Christ's sin that hung him on the cross. It's your sin. It was my sin. As you consider the agony of the Savior on the cross, consider your own sinfulness. Not just the broad idea of the fact that you are a sinful being, but the specifics. The times that you have broken the Lord's law and commandments. The times that you will break that law and those commandments in the future. Christ had to pay for every sin. It's not just that you come into Christ and he pays for what was in the past and the future is just whatever it is. No, the Lord knows every sin that you would commit and he laid each one of them upon Christ. That is the great weight of the wrath of God 
on the Savior at the cross. Jesus died on that cross. He never ceased to be God as he died on that cross. That's one of the the beauties of some of the gospel accounts is you get this picture of Christ giving up his spirit. In John's gospel, he said that Christ cried out, it's finished, and then he gave up his spirit. Christ did not die as someone who was not sovereign, but he was still the sovereign Lord in control while he was nailed to the cross. But he gave up his spirit, he breathed his last, and he died. He was taken down. He was laid in a tomb. That's Friday. On Saturday, nothing happens. And just thinking, thinking about Saturday in the resurrection story, in the crucifixion, in this scheme of, of the Lord's plan of redemption. Do you ever feel like you're living in a Saturday? When You've seen the great work of the cross. You you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe the promise that he's going to be raised, but you're in this season where it's almost as though the Lord is silent. It's almost as though you feel like all hope has been lost because you don't see the Lord at work. Dear friend, remember, Friday he was crucified Saturday, the Lord was silent. Christ was in heaven because he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And on Sunday, the third day, Christ rose from the dead. Life came back into his body. The resurrected Savior showed that he defeated the power of sin and the power of death. Dear friend, if you're walking in a period of darkness, know that Sunday is coming. Know that this end of glory is coming for those who are in Christ. Take hold of that hope. I need to cut that off there so we don't preach the last point before the first point. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting because Christ has risen from the grave victoriously. And the cause of our life in Christ, as Paul says, is that you have been raised up with Christ. Just as the Savior had breath back in his lungs and life in his body, you too will be raised with him. You too are raised with him. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says that while we were dead in transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Think about Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You have life. Because you're raised with Christ. We rejoice in the resurrection because it's through the resurrection that we see the fulfillment of Christ's cry on the cross that it is finished. We see that the sacrifice was accepted. And Christ is who he said he was. 
And we have a great hope because we will one day be raised with this glorious Savior. But don't miss the end of verse 1 as well, where we see that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's the importance of that? It's the fact that Christ ever lives to plead and intercede before the throne of God on your behalf. If you sin, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You rejoice in the fact that He's seated because He pleads His blood on your account. Because He lives and He intercedes, you have hope. Dear friends, we proclaim this Christ. In an age of victimhood, we proclaim a Christ who was not a victim, but who is the ultimate victor, conquered sin and death and Satan, and he returned to glory. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, evermore reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the cause of our life in Christ, but let's remember there's also a specific commands that the Lord gives us because of this life. So we've seen the cause, now let's look at the command. In verse 1, Paul says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and then set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So there's these two distinct yet completely related exhortations that we keep seeking the things above and that we set our minds on the things above. It's the what and the how, if you will. So firstly, the what. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking. Do, do you hear the active tense of that phrase? Keep seeking. Keep doing it, to, to parse out that a little bit. It's a word it means to aim at or to seek after or to strive for, and it's used in the present active imperative tense. So just a quick parsing out of the grammar there, what Paul is getting at. The present tense means that it's an action that is in process with really no thought to its completion. It's just kind of a state of being, if you will. There's the active voice that indicates that you, the subject of the statement, are actively engaged in work, actively engaged in an action. And then there's the imperative mood, and that expresses that the command is not already existing, but it is a possibility that you should seek. So it's a word of action. It's a phrase that indicates activity that is ongoing and it does not stop. It's something that you don't attain in this life. You keep seeking the things above until you go to be with Christ. It's what we're seeking, the things that are above, where Christ is. This is Paul's version of Jesus' exhortation in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't seek the things of earth. Seek that which is eternal. 
Matthew Henry said, we make heaven our scope and our aim. So, so, so heaven is the, the board at which we aim and the bullseye is Christ. That is whom we seek. doesn't mean that you can't seek or find enjoyment in earthly and earthbound things, for the Lord is a giver of good gifts. He gives blessings to his people that we might enjoy them to the praise of his glory and grace. But we must have this eternal vision, this eternal mindset where we seek heavenly things. That's the question here. What is seen as valuable in your life by the way that you live day to day? Parents, if your children were to to say, well, this is what my mom or my dad values because this is what he or she spends their time seeking and pursuing, what would that be? What is it that you seek? Where is your treasure? Because where your treasure is, there is your heart. Do you seek that which is above where Christ is? Or do you find your fulfillment in things of the earth? How do we seek the things above? Well, Paul tells us, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Do you seek things that turn your mind heavenward? Or do you seek things that that make you desire and crave and love the world and the things of the world? Where are your affections? in, In an age where we can be so distracted by so many things, where so much information is available at our fingertips... Where are your affections? Do you love the Lord? Do you love His Word? Do you love His people? Do you love to worship Him? Do you love to make much of Christ? Are you tied to and bound to the things of the world? Think about it. You can enjoy family and friends and relationships and so many things that the Lord has created and ordained for us to enjoy, and you can enjoy those to His praise and glory. But on the flip side of that, can you enjoy something that is sinful? Something that goes against the Lord's command? Can you enjoy that thing to the praise of His glory? Of course not. Set your mind on things above. Something I believe that aids this heavenly focus is to surround yourself with heavenly-minded people. Can you just just play that thought out? You desire to be so focused on eternal things, and yet you surround yourself with people who are living their best life now because the life they have in the future is not good. It's eternal punishment, and so they're seeking pleasure and enjoyment in the things of the world, and yet you're striving after Christ What are they going to do? Bad company corrupts good morals. They will drag you down in the mud with them. If you want to set your mind on things above, surround yourself with like-minded, eternal glory-seeking saints. 
That which we seek, I think, is distinguished, as Paul tells us, that which we should not seek. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Kevin said, we seek not that which constrains us to creep on the ground. We don't seek after that which takes our eyes from beholding the glory of Christ and looking to future hope and takes our eyes and brings it to the temporal to the present, to fleshly indulgences and enjoyments. Don't seek the things that are of the earth. Christ calls and directs our minds upwards. Think about Philippians 4. It was read earlier. We are to consider and to dwell upon that which is true and right and pure and good and lovely and of good repute and excellent, and anything that is worthy of praise. Those are the things that you dwell upon when you set your mind on things that are above. The flip side of that is then true of those things that we avoid, the things that are false, things that are wrong or impure or ugly or disgraceful. Put those things away. Don't put filth before your eyes. Don't put worldly things before your mind. Set your mind on things above. This is God's command to you, the saints, in light of the resurrection of Christ. Anything that increases your temporal present focus must be put away. And I say that as one who who openly enjoys things of, of God's creation, things like sports and other forms of entertainment, you can glorify the Lord through those things. But they must not become your God. They must not replace the Lord on His throne. They must be enjoyed through that lens that if the Lord chooses to take this thing away, He can take it and He can have it because all I want is Christ. And while He leaves me with with this thing, I will glorify His name through it. So you're raised with Christ. This is the cause of our life in Him. We hear His command that we, set our, we seek after and set our minds on the things that are above. As you do this, dear friends, there are going to be times of sin. There are going to be times where you fail, times when you fall flat on your face, and times when you feel outright condemned by your sin. So we've seen the cause, we've seen the command. Thirdly, let's see the commitment. The commitment of God to us in Christ. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Back in chapter 2 of Colossians, just a few verses before our passage, verse 20 Paul says, you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. You have died with Christ to the weak and to the vain and to the worthless things of the world. And so the idea of dying with Christ should be an exhortation to us. It should press us onward to die to the things of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Through the death of Christ. Because through his death we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. 
I want you to feel the weightiness of this command. I want you to feel that this is not something that you just kind of shirk off and say, well, I'll die to myself later. I'll die to myself tomorrow or next month or next year. No, you die to yourself the moment you're made alive in Christ. And the love of Christ controls you. The Lord transforms us through this life in Christ because He's fitting us for glory. If the Lord did not desire you to be sanctified, the moment that He made you alive in Christ, He would call you to eternity. But He leaves you here because there's work to be done. Work in your own life for your sanctification and work for proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. So as long as we remain friends, Remember that you have died with Christ. But the purpose of this point is to consider the second half, really, of that verse. Verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about the Lord's commitment to you as his people. Your life is hidden with Christ forever. In studying this, one cross-reference that I think paints the picture maybe most vividly of all cross-references is actually Genesis chapter 7, the account of the ark and the flood. And in verse 16 of Genesis 7, Noah has built the ark. He's loaded the animals. The last animal walks in. Noah walks in, and Genesis seven sixteen says, Then the Lord shut the door behind Noah. So, okay, what's the connection there? The Lord hid and secured Noah from the flood of his wrath. Do you get that? Do you, do you see the security of God in the life of this man that he chose to save? When the Lord flooded the earth with his wrath against mankind and against sin, Noah was secure. He was kept safe by the mercy and grace of God in that boat. You are secured and kept safe and hidden by Christ and God. You're kept. You are secure. When, when the Lord unleashes this massive fury, eternal condemnation against sin when Christ returns again, when that day comes, you either stand as one to face the flood of His wrath, or you're hidden in Christ. What a great, what an enduring hope. When you walk through times of sin, remember, if you are in Christ, you're hidden and you're kept. What about when you walk through a season of suffering, and hardship? You're kept by God in Christ forever. Nothing can take that hope away. Nothing, no suffering of this earth can make eternity any less glorious. Nor can it make eternity any less eternal. So press on, friend, because you're almost home. You're almost to Christ. Press on to be found in Him. Press on knowing that He's the one that holds you. We could never keep ourselves. Our strength would always fail, but He holds us fast. 
my Savior. Think about the great hymn before the throne. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free because God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The next verse of that hymn. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my That's your hope in Christ. That's God's commitment to you because of the finished work of Christ. When your soul is in despair, let this be your anchor. Don't look for worldly things to to press you on. Look upward, dear saint. Look to Christ. Look to your forgiveness and your hope. Purchased by his blood, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. He keeps those who are his. He died and was raised to to purchase for himself a people. And of all those whom he purchased, he will call all of them and he will lose none of them. That is the power and the might of the risen Savior. All of Christ's sheep know his voice and they hear and respond to the call of the master. That we would know the glory and the hope and the assurance of being in Christ. Our homes, an exhortation here as we think about security in Christ. Our homes and our life as a church should be a constant reminder of the security and the shelter of Christ. And those of you who have little ones know that sometimes to be a security and a shelter for your children means that you hold them accountable and that you punish them and that there is discipline. Those of you who are active in the church, you know that there must be accountability But that accountability, whether from fellow saint to fellow saint or parent to child or grandparent to grandchildren, that security is shown with discipline, with love, and with patience. But it's always shown by providing a shelter, providing a refuge. And that that applies to all of these relationships. Being in Christ, we are new creatures. The old life has passed away. The new life, new things have come. Because we are new, we are dead to sin and made alive to righteousness. Romans 6, 7, Paul said the one that has died is free from sin. Free from the condemnation of sin, yes and amen. But you're free from its power. You are free from its authority. You have been freed from the shackles of sin so you can go out and obey. As we sang earlier, you're free to live, free to love, free to follow after your Savior without being held back by the bonds of sin. That's what it means to be free 
in Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin because we're enslaved to Christ. And the slave of Christ hears and serves and finds pleasure in the commands of his master. You're committed to Christ. You're secure in him, and we must rejoice in this. But we also must be spurred on in light of this. So we have the cause, the command, the commitment. In verse 4, let's consider the culmination. The culmination of our life in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him and glory. Don't you love how Paul starts that section, starts that verse? When Christ, who is our life, is our righteousness. He is the reason that we are raised. And in John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What a great hope that is. Christ is the resurrection and the life, and if you are in him, you will never die. When you pass from this life, you immediately go to his presence to experience the fullness of eternal life for the first time. You're not dressed in this body of death, but you go to be with Christ. You're free. The resurrection in the life. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Dead to the old self, alive in Christ. You don't keep yourself, but it's Christ and his power at work in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is this great and profound mystery of fully accomplished. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. And yet it's not fully realized. We still are pressing on toward eternal glory. Titus 2 verse 13 says, we must be looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're looking for the appearance of his glory. Hebrews 9 Says Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Do you eagerly await and look for and long for the return of Christ in his glory? The culmination of our life in Christ is that you see his glory and you're made like him because you see him as he is. And so... That's the next driver is that this has effect on our lives today. We don't just kind of passively float around in nothingness because we're alive in Christ and looking for the future glory that is going to be revealed. No, we press on. 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are now children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is And everyone who has this hope fixed upon him purifies himself just as he is pure. You're in Christ. You're longing for eternity. 
You're looking for that glory to be revealed because you will be made like Christ and you purify yourself just as your Savior is pure. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 says, We must walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Christ changes our hearts. He changes our lives. He changes our wills. He changes our desires. You're not made new in Christ to continue to desire sin. Yes, that is a process. It's called sanctification. But the goal is that you do not long for sin anymore. You long for that which is heavenly and good and pure and right. You battle sin, but your heart is being conformed to that of your Savior. You long to be like Him. You long to see the fullness of His glory. And really, as you walk with the Lord, and as you put off more and more sin, you see more of God's glory even in this creation, even in this life, because you're made more and more like Him. And so the veil of sin comes off layer by layer a layer. So what's the root of all of this? The root of all of this is that Christ became a curse for you. That he was nailed to a cross and took your sin in his own body. He stood beneath the wrath of God so that you could be delivered from that wrath, counted as righteous, and go to heaven forever. Your faith is in Christ. If you have repented of your sin, then you have been raised up with Christ. Glory and hallelujah. Raised with him, you set your heart and your mind on heavenly things. You seek that which pleases and glorifies and honors the Lord. And as you seek those things, as you pursue that Savior, you know that your life hidden with Christ forevermore. As your life is hidden, you know that when he is revealed in glory, you will be revealed with him. You will be like him because you see him as he is. So set your mind on these things. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us Lay aside the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us and fix our eyes on Christ our Savior. If you fix your eyes on the target, you don't fall to the left or to the right. Fix your eyes on Christ. Lay aside the cares and the desires and and the things of the world that will entangle and pull you and hold you down and run. Run to the Savior. You're raised with him to a new life. Set your mind on things above. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And do that knowing that he keeps you and that you will be revealed with him in glory. Walk after the Savior. Do that laying aside sin by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God forever and ever. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we ask that you would write your word upon our hearts. We ask that your truth would would stir us, that you would cause us to long for this hope of glory. Pray, Lord, that we would put aside sin and we'd set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Most High. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for his death by which we were forgiven. Thank you for the righteousness from him that is credited to our account. And we thank you that he was raised again and that we have hope of being raised with him in eternal glory to worship you forever and ever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.